0: For the record, in case of parking lot shatter, the moving van that was in the parking lot before the 8 o'clock mass was not mine, so as, as of today, I'm not moving anywhere. One of the things which we often underestimate is the power of prayer. Several months, Two months ago, we asked you to pray during our 40 Days for Life campaign, which the diocese was participating in. And on the day that we were called to go down to the abortion bill, three lives were saved on that day, which is attributed to your prayers and your fasting for this intention. <clears throat> Last Monday, parishioners contacted me, contacted us, regarding Nigel. If you remember, Nigel is the child we spiritually adopted who was in foster care, a teenager, who was looking for a forever hope. When uh, parishioners who desired to adopt him, when we called to contact with the diocese, we had discovered that the application process had already started with another family who was going to adopt him. So your prayers are powerful, and it is a reminder to you and to me that God is at work in our midst. We underestimate the power of prayer. We underestimate the goodness of God because God is not in the big fanfare. He doesn't appear poof and a bunch of smoke. that he reveals himself to us. And so your prayers uh, uh, encourage the heart of a parishioners to want to adopt uh, Niger, but also your prayers help him to be adopted because he has been in the system for a, very, for a long time and has not received a forever home yet. So never underestimate the power of prayer. And we often look at prayer as if it's the last resort or, oh, there's nothing better to do. Prayer should always be the very first response that we make, regardless of any situation that we are in. It should always be motivated by prayer, so that every thought, word, and deed can be motivated to the the presence and the reality of God. This morning's Gospel, we have a a great contrast presented to us. It begins with these great titles of power, emperor, governor, tetrarch, pontiff. And on the other hand, we see the simplicity of the reference to John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness, John the Baptist who lived in the desert. Our religion does not begin with palaces or with potentates, but our religion begins in the desert. And so what is so significant about that? Well, it's a significant environment where our faith took its rise, and it was a sort of a place in which people are most exposed. There's no place to hide in the desert. There's no tree to run behind. There's no foliage to hug, to cover where you are in the desert if someone is above a plane and flying over you, you are just out there in the open. And yet, the desert is an essential part to our spiritual growth, to the spirituality of who and what we are as followers of Jesus Christ, who himself went into the desert and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights before he began his public ministry. But yet, we are also mindful of the fact that many people cannot stand to be alone. They have to be accompanied by something, even if it is a disembodied voice that comes from the radio, or the idiot box, or the internet. They have to have something, something because without noise they seem to think that life is boring, that it's boring at the end of the out of it. My brothers and sisters, our life alone is far from boring. And when you read the spiritual classics, our spiritual fathers and mothers and faith, they took for granted that you and I appreciated or understood what is referred to in the spiritual world as the interior life. The idea of the inner life has rather fallen on hard times these days. Even within Christianity itself, this understanding, this appreciation of the interior life has been overshadowed by busyness in doing. The, The whole push for Social justice apart from living living in union with the Lord. This whole push of always having to do something. Otherwise, you're not. If you're not. If you're just praying, you're not doing anything, which of course is false. And yet we see within the world that there is a rise to a development of the of the interior life. But from a secular perspective, from the New Age movement, or from Eastern religions, or you know, from that expression, we often hear our younger people say, I'm spiritual, but not interested in an institution religion. What does that mean? What does that mean in reality? Who knows? Who knows what it means? But yet, they but that, that, that the devil is the prince of lies. And so with what they say, there is some truth. We cannot be part of an institutionalized religion without the development of the interior life. And so I think it is fitting on this second Sunday of Advent to maybe teach you for the first time what the interior life is all about, or even what it is, so that we can reap the richness that it offers us in drawing closer to to the Lord, each of us. Every human being carries an interior world which is alive with memories, impressions, feelings, attitudes, arguments, dispositions towards each other, towards situations, and everything else that goes with that. Therefore, how can this experience within us be boring? There is a whole going on within our very being. It is in the depths of this being, it's in this interior life in which the Lord Himself dwells amongst us, within us. And so then why do we shudder from from thinking about the desert? Why do we shudder from being alone with the Lord? Or thinking that that's not good enough? Or that's not going to help us? The reason is, because we are afraid innately, that we're going to find within that experience John the Baptist. We are going to find that voice crying out in the wilderness to correct us from what we are doing wrong. Jesus, Do remember, John the Baptist says that he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And this is another thing in which we have to override the wisdom of the world, which denies that negatives can be good. And so you shy away from anything negative. Anything that is against you, or anything that goes against what you think or believe, you get away from it. Well, my brothers and sisters, if there is nothing which is bad, how do we know which is good? If you do not know the negative, how do you know the positive? I mean, this is one of the sad tragedies of the millennials amongst us in our world today, because they do not know how to handle rejection. They do not know how to handle things that go against what they want and what they think they should have. And they have to go to a safe place. They have to just crumble because they were never informed that there is something that is right and something that is wrong. All starts, as I preached before, on to a T-ball. T-ball, you either win or you lose. You two, why are you getting an award for losing? If I'm getting awarded for, a lo- as, for a, being a loser, You can't become a winner if you think if you get and you just get the same that the winners get. Why would you want to be a winner if you don't know the distinction? Then what is there to move (coughs) towards? And so, therefore, it develops within humanity a complacency, it develops within humanity. Why bother? What good is it going to do? And so, this is the challenge for you and me, my brothers and sisters. This is the challenge that sometimes negatives and negations are needed in order to make a clearer path or to help us to see clearer the positives and what affirmations really mean. Now this is not true just for ourselves, but this is true within the spiritual life as well. You know, sometimes we need to be called on the carpet for our failure to live as the Lord calls us to live. Sometimes we need to be called and chastised for living within a a sinful reality. And yet, should we say something to someone who is living a sinful life, we're accused of being judgmental. Judgmentalness has nothing to do with judging situations. Judgmentalness deals with, because a person is sinning, you judge that what they deserve, or you judge where they're gonna end up. Like H-E double hockey sticks. That's being judgmental. You're living like this, you're going to hell. No, you're not, we don't know that. We don't know the dispositions of their heart, we don't know the mercy that God's gonna bestow on on a person. So we can't say that, but we can say, this behavior is sinful. This behavior is wrong and should not be done by those of us who profess Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus himself even called people to, on the carpet for living sinfully. Look at the woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery. Who condemns you? No one. Well, neither do I. He doesn't say, okay, neither do I. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Good to see you. See you again. No, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Zacchaeus, we, just, we heard a few weeks ago, we heard about Zacchaeus, the short man who had to climb the tree. He was a tax collector. He aligned himself with the public enemy of Israel. He was a persona non grata to the Israelite people. And yet something within him stirred to see the Lord. And the encounter with the Lord caused him to have a desire to transform himself. My brothers and sisters, in the desert, when we we're exposed to the presence of the Lord, we are exposed as we truly are and have, with, with all of our warts and ugliness, exposed in that element of God's tremendous love. We are called to be transformed. We are called to transform ourselves to drive her closer to the Lord, and that is why the devil hates the desert, and why the devil hates solitude, silence, quiet. Because he knows that when that happens, when we uh, when we willingly allow ourselves to come to quiet, that the Lord is going to move, that we are going to know that the Lord is with us and he is going to challenge us to be transformed to become better people so that we can draw closer to Him in holiness. And that's the last thing that the devil wants for you and I to be the saints the Lord calls us to be. So my brothers and sisters, again we see in the psalm. The psalm, the psalm is a powerful psalm. I encourage you all. I haven't given you a homework for Advent yet. So now there's your Advent homework. I go home and read Psalm 126. I go one step further. Pray Psalm 126 every single day this week. Because you only have little excerpts from it here. You only have verses 1 through 6. Whoop de doo. This is a full psalm. It has much more than six verses. And this is a song that Israel has composed as they are being, as they are traveling out of Babylon back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, back to where they belong. It is a song of praise to God. What do we do on road trips to, 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 to take the way, take time off of our thinking from getting bananas? We sing. We sing whatever it is. We sing. We sing something. Even if we have little children, we, well, nowadays we probably don't sing. Nowadays, probably just throw them an iPad and let them watch the idiot box all day for the whole trip, and we just plan to have enough movies. That's really sad and tragic. What you are, what you are causing your children the opportunity to experience is the road trip with nothing of electronics. The road trips that we grew up with in which we bonded more as a family, or even destroyed each other as a family as a <laughs> However, those are memories that can't be taken away from us. Those are memories that we set are in our brains for eternity. Throwing, a, throwing an iPad at a child and letting them watch a dumb movie, that's, they see that all the time. What memory was with that? So we, again, as I said last week, we cannot allow the world to dictate to us how to do it. And yes, my brothers and sisters, I am well aware that giving them the iPad is easier. It is easier to do that. It's not as, not as difficult, or at least quiet for a, a two hours. I understand that. But life entails suffering. Life entails suffering especially as parents. Parents, whether you recognize it or not, when you found yourself at this altar of God, and you found yourself to be uh, an open to human life, you vowed a life of suffering and sacrifice on the behalf of your children. That is something which we have lost in our modern world today. The sacrifice, which is essential of the parental, of the parental experience of the sacrament of matrimony. That's a different holiday. So, but the point is, Israel, just like just like human nature, sings. They sing as they're journeying from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and they sing this hymn of great joy when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. We were like men dreaming. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongue was rejoicing. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the torrents of the southern desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap a rejoicing. And so they marvel at what the Lord has done in their past. They marvel at the goodness of God, and they are expecting even greater goodness now that they are returning back to the homeland, to where they belong. This is what Advent is supposed to be, my brothers and sisters. This joy-filled expectation of what is coming to us. What is coming to us, God Himself, the Son of Man, who is going to become like us in all things but sin. That expectation that we should have of what great event God is doing. What is He doing? God, the King of the Universe, the Creator of everything that moves and breathes. This God is going to become a little baby in a manger. An infant that can do nothing for itself. And is dependent upon his mother and father for survival and existence. Can you imagine that? I mean, that is just enough to make your head explode. That God would love us so much. They would love us so much that he who created everything would be vulnerable to human beings, to a mother and to a father, to raise him. How amazing is that? And yet we deny, or we don't believe, that we are lovable, that God could love you or me. We deny it. We can't fathom it. But yet he has done that for each of us. So, my brothers and sisters, As you sing that psalm, 126, throughout this week, I also encourage you to enter more deeply into the desert experience of Advent. Advent is not a time of just having Christmas carols and having parties and getting all that decorations and lights and everything else. Advent is a time to prepare ourselves for the greatest gift we will ever receive in our human existence. That gift of God becoming man to save us from our sins so that we can have the experience of living with God forever in eternity. That is the gift that we are are waiting in expectation for Christmas morning. Let us go out into the desert and listen to that voice in the wilderness which will challenge you and me to transform our lives more closely to how the Lord wants us to live so that we can be truly men and women after his own heart so that we can draw ever closer to him and allow this Christmas to be one of the best Christmases we've ever experienced. Come, Lord Jesus, come in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.